The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning, church. Once again, my name is Kelly, one of the pastors here, and last week I was at the back end of COVID, and fortunately, Greg and Meredith pinched it for me, and I was very thankful. I was 90% better, but I kept testing neg- testing positive. Good grief. It won't go away. Uh, but uh, I am really thankful to be here today. Like we said last week, we kind of jumped ahead last week into the topic of the Father in prayer, and now we're going back a little ways, just a few verses. Now, if you're a newcomer here, we are happy that you decided to join us today because this week and last week, we are addressing a topic that most people have questions about whether they're Christians or not. That topic, like I said, is prayer. And prayer is, <laughs> it's so interesting because everyone knows how to pray when it comes down to the line, don't we? I mean, I never knew more boys to pray that God would give them faith until a girl named Faith showed up at their school. Lord, give me faith is what all these boys were praying. And when, we, when we're in trouble with our, or, or one of our loved ones is in trouble, people who consider themselves agnostic will all of a sudden become avid prayers. And for those of us who are old enough to remember 9-11, do you remember how common it was to hear public prayers at that time? Now, oftentimes, albeit not all the time, people instinctively know how to pray when necessity calls. And at the same time, strangely, prayer is shrouded in an unnecessary fog, even for Christian brothers and sisters. When someone starts learning how to pray in an intentional way and not just when necessity calls, they may not feel like they have the right words to say. Maybe you have thought in the past, like many people have thought, unless I'm pressed by some tragic scenario, what what on earth am I going to say to God? Who should I be addressing in my prayers? Jesus? God? The Father? That one I don't really understand very much? The Spirit? All of them? Who should I be addressing? What kinds of things does the God of all creation want to hear from me? one of his creations, one of his many creations over history. What would I say to get God's attention over all the other people who are praying at the same time? I I have known people, like I said, to have been confused on this subject for as long as they've been Christians, but I hope that we leave today maybe a little less confused about prayer. Because if only... In my mind, if only an expert on prayer would just come teach us how to pray. You know, if only God himself would come down and just teach us how to pray. I've got good news for you. Not only did an expert on prayer come down to teach us how to pray, he invented prayer. He's God who put on the flesh of a man, and he modeled prayer for us, and he taught us how to pray. His name is Jesus. 
It's like Michael Jordan coming down and teaching you, specifically, how to shoot a basketball. Would you not be all ears if Michael Jordan taught you how to shoot a basketball? Well, today our passage of Scripture is on the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to train them how to pray. And in that short prayer, there is a treasure trove of wisdom and joy and insight If you're like me, maybe you grew up reciting this prayer or praying this prayer. We even recited it before our public soccer, public school uh, soccer games with people that weren't even Christians. uh, But maybe the Lord's Prayer is completely new to you, and I want to say that's great, actually, because you're not burdened with the wet blanket of familiarity, and I'm excited for you to learn. Whether you're a young or old, a new Christian, a mature Christian, a male, female, a fervent prayer, or a normal, or nominal prayer. I pray that God piques your interest in the subject of prayer, and even the Lord's Prayer again, but not just in the Lord's Prayer specifically, but in every prayer you pray from here out, because the Lord's Prayer is that significant. Now, let's get to the sermon text, and then we'll pray again, and we'll dive in. The sermon text is Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. If you're using the Bible from the chair in front of you, that will be on page 869. It will also be on the screen up top if if you'd like to read it there. Luke 11, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Oh, Father, we come to you today wanting to learn more about prayer with the same desire the 12 apostles had when they asked you to teach them. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that you are our Father who loves us, that you provide our physical needs, you provide our spiritual needs, you deliver us from the evil one. I pray that you would help us to pray more often, to be more fervent prayers, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, you can find the Lord's Prayer in two places in Scripture. You'll find it here in Luke You'll also find it in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. You'll find that many of the lessons Jesus taught are recorded in multiple places because Jesus certainly taught on prayer multiple times throughout his ministry. Matthew's account was to a crowd of listeners, and Luke's account was to a small group of disciples. 
Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer is slightly different in wording. It's the more popular phrasing you're used to hearing, but it hits all the same subjects as Luke's account. Now, our biblical truth for this sermon, as you know, I like to give you a biblical truth. It's kind of a thesis for this sermon. This is our biblical truth. The Lord's Prayer is Christ's model prayer that reorients us on the gospel story. I'll repeat that. The Lord's Prayer is Christ's model prayer that reorients us on the gospel story. To teach this truth, we're going to take this sermon in two phases. So I think there are two main ways to learn from this passage. First, we're going to look at the form of the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to look at the substance of the Lord's Prayer. The form will address some of the observations we can make by the way that Jesus prayed, and the substance will address the words that Jesus actually prayed. Both parts were deeply helpful to me as I tried to implement this in my own prayer life this week. So like I said, let's start with form because that will teach us how to model our own customized prayers after Jesus' prayer. And the first observation that I'm going to make is fairly obvious. We've already discussed this. The Lord's Prayer is both a model and it's prescriptive. In other words, you should say prayers like the Lord's Prayer, but you should also pray this prayer. When one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he asked Jesus to teach them to pray the way at, or as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, it was common back then for teachers to teach their students, their disciples, a prayer that was unique to their students, just like John did. They're asking Jesus to give them one. And Jesus was giving them his prayer that would be for his disciples. And astonishingly, that includes us because we are also in the number of his disciples, his followers, his students. When he taught them to pray, he used this in, in response. He said, when you pray, say X, these words. And translated most literally, that sentence is, whenever you pray, pray like this. So he also intended them to use it as a model prayer for their own prayers. But as much as you should pray your own prayers, please, 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 say the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis in your own prayer life with, the walk, with your walk in the Lord too. And this is our second observation that we can make from the form of this prayer. Number two, the Lord's Prayer shows that our prayers will normally be brief and often. And that's not to say that we won't say extended prayers or that it's wrong to say extended prayers. It's just that most of the time we will pray short and we'll pray often. Isn't it remarkable, church, isn't it remarkable that Jesus' model prayer, the one that he gave his disciples, is only 36 words when translated into English? 36 words. That's it. 
Then why do we tend to believe that the best prayers are longer prayers? It's because we have made that up in our own minds with piousness. <laughs> and that's certainly not a biblical idea that your prayers need to be long to be effective. Actually, it's quite the opposite. In Matthew's account, Jesus prefaces the Lord's Prayer by saying these words. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard on their many words. Do not be like them, specifically says it. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You catch that? What is the reason we shouldn't use so many words? It's because Christ already, God already knows what we need. Isn't that interesting? He would use that as the reason we shouldn't use many words. It's because we should feel no pressure in our prayer life to use a lot of words because God does not need to be convinced of what you need. You hear me? He does not need to be convinced of what you need. And he doesn't need you to put on a show. Also, in your heart, continue to realize that prayer is, is not a one or two time event in your day. Pray without ceasing, the scriptures say. That's not to say that we need to be in a constant state of muttering under our breath all the time. But it is saying that we should pray often, often. Daniel formally prayed three times a day, as we know in Scripture. David, in Psalm 55, he says that he prays morning, noon, and evening. And we don't know how many prayers they said in the middle of their day, but according to Psalms, I'd imagine it was quite a bit, because he wrote a lot of Psalms. But according to the words of the Lord's Prayer, give us each day our daily bread. It seems that Jesus meant for us to pray this prayer or a prayer like it at least daily, church. But I'd encourage you to pray all throughout your day as a habit. Uh, there's a guy named Mike Cosper who actually says that we should pray these, these, these prayers called arrow prayers. You shoot them up in the air briefly, just say them. It's a, it's a, it's a historic and orthodox sort of um, practice to just shoot these prayers up throughout your day. Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. Lord, this is what I need. This is who you are in response to what I'm going through. Now, our third observation on the form is this. We're going to move real quickly through these. Number three, the Lord's Prayer is a proactive act of dependence. <laughs> when you look at the Lord's Prayer, does it sound like a reactive prayer? Hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Does that sound reactive or proactive? These are all proactive prayers. And I cannot emphasize this enough. This is one of the main things that popped out to me as I studied this. And I almost made it our biblical truth for today, but... It, because I think that we need to work on this as a society, as Christians, modern day society Christians. I can ask you a question that uh, was very convicting to me 
as I studied this. How many of your personal prayers, how many of my personal prayers, are proactive in nature? And how often are you and I praying in a reactive way to the negative events that happen in life as they happen? I'd encourage you to ask yourself that question. Are my prayers proactive or are they reactive? Because church, if we model our prayer off of Christ's model prayer, we'll be praying early in our day, before the events in our lives, preemptively as we perceive future needs, as an act of faith, not an act of anxiety, as an act of dependence before the anxiety sets in. Let that sink in, church. Prayer is an act of faith, not an act of anxiety. Prayer is best done proactively. Next observation, number four. Prayer will often be corporate, not just personal. Now, when we use that word corporate in church, sometimes that can be a little weird. Maybe you don't think about it that often, but I think people that come into the church that don't know what we're talking about when we say corporate worship or corporate prayers, um, it just means that we do it with the community. So our prayers will often be in a community style, just like Jesus' was. Give us this day. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Do you see it? For all the language that we Protestants love about being Jesus being our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus seems to acknowledge in his prayers not just his own needs, but the needs of his brothers and his sisters. Their needs are as important as his own. We're in this together, church. How often do we pray with us's and we's when we pray? And how often do we consider the needs of others in our community of believers? This should be a regular habit in our prayers. We are not alone and our prayers should acknowledge that. Interestingly, Tim Mackey, uh, the theologian who started the Bible Project, he says that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that represents the core values of God found in the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' prayer reflects those values. Lastly, we'll keep this one short. Regarding the form of prayer number five, prayer involves our commitment to respond. According to Jesus' prayer, we do not just shoot up prayers into the sky and just hope they work out. Instead, we should pray acknowledging our response to God's answer. Our actions as believers, as prayers, should regard God as holy when we ask for his name to be hallowed. Our, uh, our, our actions should be that of forgiveness as we have been forgiven. Uh, we should try to avoid temptation as we ask God to keep us from it. We are required in our prayers to respond. 
Because we are not just the prayers, we are participants in the ways that we pray. We must respond in our prayers with obedience to the ways of God. We are participants in prayer with God. We must respond in faith. So these are the ways that we can form our own prayers according to the Lord's Prayer. If you want those later, I'm happy to post them for you somewhere or give them to you personally if you didn't write them down, because I think they're incredibly helpful as we pray. In our own prayers, keep them brief, often. Pray them, pray them proactively. Pray regarding our brothers and sisters in Christ, and pray responding in faith as we pray. That leads us into the second half of our sermon here today. What about the substance of Christ's prayer? What can we learn from the actual words of the Lord's Prayer when we recite it or pray it for ourselves? Church, this is where I believe we get some absolutely beautiful truth. Let me remind you of our biblical truth. The Lord's Prayer is Christ's model prayer that reorients us on the gospel story. That may not be apparent right off the bat, but by the end of the sermon, you should be able to see how this prayer lines up with the gospel story in Scripture. Something that struck me as I, as I, uh, as I studied this is that the whole of the gospel narrative begins in, Jesus, in Genesis with, in the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth, and, and that is how the Lord's Prayer starts as well. There is an introduction that mentions it's addressed to the true God. So the substance of our Lord's Prayer is it involves an introduction that we're going to address right now, and then three short petitions. And in that introduction, the Lord's Prayer is addressed to the Father. And we should do the same. Why is this important? And why is this a big deal to address to the Father? Because our address in our prayer identifies the character and the identity of the God to whom we pray. It also speaks to our relation to him. And I'm not going to take long on this subject because if you want to know more about this, Greg's sermon last week dealt a lot with the Father and his, the way that he responds to our prayers. But I will say this one thing as I studied. The title for God, Father, is only found 15 times in the Old Testament. And it's never, never in the form of prayer. On the other hand, the title Father is used 165 times just in the Gospels in the New Testament. 165 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And out of all of those times, Jesus is only teaching the disciples. There is only one time when he actually says it to the multitudes, but he's talking to the multitudes and the disciples. That's Matthew 23, 9. And the reason I mention this is because the title Father 
is exclusively reserved for Jesus and his followers. Because his followers are adopted into his family and can call God Father. The Father is good to both the Son and to his adopted children, those of us who are followers of Jesus. So this prayer is exclusively for those who have put their faith in Jesus. No one else can pray these prayer, this prayer in its full truth. He is our Father. Now let's move on to the next part of the introduction. The next part of the introduction says this. This is what Jesus says. Hallowed be your name. Now, what does this word hallowed mean? Let's dissect this a little bit. The word hallowed is not a word that we really use much these days. It means the same thing as to be holy or to be, uh, to break it down a little bit more, separate, unique. And it also has this sense of uniqueness in the terms of unstained by sin, pure, different. Hallowed be your name. And we kind of overlook this term, the name of God, a lot of times, but it actually has some meaning. The Bible speaks to the name of God in reference to the reputation of God, his overall character, his overall authority. It even means, has connotations to his fame in the way that we might say someone is making a name for themselves. So hallowed be your name when we say that and when Jesus said that he's declaring his desire for God's character to be known widely, known as holy, unblemished, and higher than any other. And this thought, you may not realize it, is mirrored in the next line that says, your kingdom come. They're mirroring thoughts. Because the way that God's name will be hallowed throughout all of Scripture is for his rule and his reign to be established on earth as it was in the beginning in the garden. So asking that God's name be hallowed and for his kingdom to come are essentially one and the same. Church, it is, it is good and it is right to pray that God's kingdom would come in our own lives, but also that God would hasten the day of his son's return when he will visibly rule over the earth. Saying, your kingdom come, is praying for God's name to be hallowed everywhere. Hallowed be your name. The introduction of the Lord's Prayer has already involved much of what the gospel entails, the rule and the reign of King Jesus. But now our prayer moves on with three simple petitions or requests that can be prayed in earnest because Jesus has come. The first part is addressed to God, and these have to do with God's relationship to us. And these three petitions are bread, and for forgiveness, and for deliverance. Bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. Let's look at these individually. In verse 3, Jesus prays, give us each day our daily bread. So the first petition, like I said, is bread. Daily bread is another way of asking for daily provisions. 
And one of the basic promises of the gospel is that God will provide our daily, basic, physical needs. He may not give us luxuries. Some people around you may have luxuries. He may not give you luxuries. It may not be as much as you want, but our needs will be provided for if only we ask. And our proper response is to trust God with the work, with our work as he provides. There's an interesting thought here, that when we ask for God to provide our daily bread, remember we are participants in our prayers, and we have a requirement to respond with trust. We are supposed to ask, and then we are supposed to work, and then we are to give thanks for how God provided for us through our work. Our work is an act of faith. We don't think about that very often. If I ask for provision and then sit on my butt in faith that God will provide, that's a stupid kind of faith. (laughs) If I work without prayer, if I just don't pray but I work, then I'm being self-sufficient and I put my faith in myself if I don't pray for God's provision. But check this out. If I preemptively pray for God to provide for my daily bread, my work then becomes an act of faith rather than self-sufficiency. I'm expecting God to provide, and I'm working in faith that God will provide through my work. We are not merely observers of God's work. As Reformed people, we like to know and we we believe that our salvation is God's work alone. But we cannot forget that he also allows us to be participants in his work. Much like Adam, when he created the world, put Adam in the garden, he allowed Adam to name all the animals. That's the reason God asks for us to pray for what he already desires to give us as our Father. It is a privilege, church, to participate with the God who created us. So preemptively ask and then work and then give thanks because our work is an act of faith that God uses to provide. Do you remember in the Old Testament in the gospel story where the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness and God gave them this strange flaky bread that the Israelites had to go around and collect called manna. Do you remember this? God provided just enough manna and the Israelites worked to gather that manna daily. Church, that's a picture of how God provides and we gather what he provides by his hand. Don't pray only when you feel the need for something. Pray ahead of time. Pray that God would meet your needs and then work in faith. Now for the second petition. The second petition of the Lord's Prayer is for forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness. In verse four, Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The gospel of Jesus promises to provide for our basic physical needs, but also for our basic spiritual needs. Foundationally, 
to reconcile us to God, to make our relationship, which was twisted and broken, in order to make that relationship right with God, we needed the basic foundational spiritual need of forgiveness for the wrongdoing, for the sins that we committed that separated us from God. Now, wrongdoing, as we know, is called sin. And then not long after teaching the disciples to pray for the forgiveness of sin, Jesus paid for their sins and our sins on a, when he was crucified on a cross and shed his pure, unstained blood on that cross. His blood, which has so much significance in the Old Testament, I won't be able to get into that, but his blood in essence, purified those who trust in him and it cleanses us from our filthy sins. And if you trust in him for that forgiveness today, and if you have not done that, I assure you that that forgiveness is promised to you if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you haven't and you do that today, please come talk to one of us. We'd love to aid you in your walk with Christ from here out. It is a basic foundational spiritual need to be forgiven. But even when we have been purified from our sins, we often fail and we sin more. This prayer of forgiveness is a confession of our continued sin and is an assurance that even our continued sin is forgiven. But there's a caveat. And it's written right there in the prayer. It's interesting, isn't it? We see it also in Matthew 6 where he elaborates on it a little bit. Matthew 6 verse 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This sounds like our forgiveness is conditional on our behavior. It's not exactly true, I don't believe. There is a difference between a condition for forgiveness and a proof of forgiveness. There's a difference there. Forgiving others of wrongdoings against us is not us trying to work for our salvation, if that's what you're concerned with. It's a proof that we understand what God has forgiven us. If I do not forgive others of their wrongdoings against me, then I certainly am proving that I do not understand how much God has forgiven me. Because their wrongdoings are trivial, mere child's play, compared to the wrongdoings that we have done against God, that I have done against God and His holiness. What this passage is compelling us to do is to forgive others to prove your own forgiveness, not to earn it. Pray that God would give you and me the desire and and understanding required to forgive others. And then you and I will have experienced the deep forgiveness of God. Forgive others as a proof that you have been been forgiven. Prove your spiritual debt has been paid by releasing others of their spiritual debts against you. That's a takeaway, church. 
forgive others. Now, for our last petition, number three, deliverance. Deliverance. Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance from evil. This is one of the promises of the good news that Jesus came to bring that we call the gospel. In the second half of verse 4, Jesus tells us to pray, and I quote, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, deliver us from evil is from Matthew. But lead us not into temptation. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've ever been a little curious about the phrasing of that. I know I was. Lead us not into temptation? Asking God not to lead us into temptation? It's kind of a given, it seems like, right? It may sound like God may tempt us, but in James 1.13, the scriptures say that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we know that God does not tempt anyone. So how should we understand this part of the prayer? I say, let's let Jesus model what this means by recalling a time when he was tested and in response he prayed. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was up at night praying. He's going through the most difficult trial of his human life when he knew that he would be crucified and he was in absolute trepidation. He was scared. Now don't blame him. It's a lot. And this was his prayer to the Father. And I don't mean scared. Let me take that back. I don't mean scared in the sense of scared. I mean, it is just a terrible thing to know that you are going to be crucified. No one wants to deal with that. But then this was his prayer to the Father when he was experiencing this trial. My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he gets up and he goes to his disciples who were supposed to be praying and he says this to his disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then moments later he goes back in quiet, silent prayer with with his father, and this is what he says. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You might even add, on earth as it is in heaven. Does that ring a bell? (laughs) And then he went to the cross in obedience to the father's will. Pay close attention to the words that Jesus is using here. Because we're seeing a little glimpse into Jesus' prayer life, and we're seeing how Jesus himself prayed segments of the Lord's prayer for his own life story. Jesus himself prayed the prayer that he gave his disciples. Your will be done. That's in the Matthew account the Lord's Prayer. 
He tells the disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. That's from the Lord's Prayer. These are segments of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus himself used them. And now, in in that story, Jesus is not being tempted by the Father. He's going through the biggest test of his devotion to the Father's will. And he did submit to it. But where the Father tests his children to strengthen them, the enemy will be there to tempt and weaken you. Where the Father tests to strengthen, the enemy will be there to tempt and weaken you. Being tested is not fun. Jesus was not having fun. He was not just Mr. Cool through it all, knowing I gotta go to the crucifixion. He was, he literally was in trepidation knowing what was coming. Jesus in his humanity did not enjoy it, and he certainly did not want to be tempted by the enemy either. He knew that it would be hard for his disciples, nigh impossible for his disciples to resist such temptation. So he prayed that they would be, uh, that he told them to pray that they, as they were tested, that they would not enter into the temptation that the enemy would bring their way. Or to fall into the temptation, to use other words. Jesus, when tested, was tempted by the enemy, but he did not enter into that temptation. He withstood it. No one else could have withstood such temptation with what he had on his plate. Jesus tells us to pray that God will not lead us into temptation because just like praying for our basic needs that God wants to provide, Jesus tells us to pray for the ability to withstand tests that God already wants us to succeed in. God wants us to ask, meaning participate, and then we will receive. God wants us to depend on him and not take these promises for granted. We're taking them for granted when we don't bring them to the Lord's table. So, so church, preemptively pray that God would not allow you to enter into temptation. Now, church, in closing, I want you to see why I was so enthralled with what I studied this week in the Lord's Prayer. I want you to see why the Lord's Prayer, how the Lord's Prayer is another way that God communicates his promises of the good news found in the gospel. It's another way for us to participate in that good news. Another way to incorporate that good news into our lives on a regular basis, in a reactive, not, not in a reactive way, but in a preemptive way that's full of faith that God hears our prayers, and he answers them. So church, pray prayers like the Lord's prayers. Pray prayers that are brief and often because you have nothing to prove to God by using lots of words. Pray before immediate needs present themselves because the Father loves you and he already wants to give you what you need. You don't have to prove that you need something by being convincing. Know that you know that if you if you pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, you'll be participating with God in the way that He chooses to work in this world, which is through us for His glory. 
And church, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, and I encourage you, I encourage you, pray the Lord's Prayer often. Even daily, pray the Lord's Prayer. Because when you do, you're reminding yourself of the gospel. That our God is real when you address him. That he provides for your needs, that he forgives us of our sins, and that he will deliver us from the evil one. Church, the restoration that the gospel story brings, it's woven into every word of the Lord's Prayer. And from the beginning, when God created the world and he gave us access to himself, our Father, to the provision of our needs as he did for Israel in the wilderness, give us this day our daily bread to the forgiveness that he gave when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. Forgive us of our sins. To the deliverance he provides by his spirit as his spirit guards us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Christ-like prayer reminds us of the gospel. So church, As we close, it is only appropriate, I believe, to pray the words on the screen and to pray them together. The words given to us by the Son of God to teach us how to pray and how to live. My worship team can come up as we do this. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen.